Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 267 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Tuesday, January 5th, 2021. Happy Election Day, Georgia. It is You guys are finally going to finish the thing that we all did two months ago, which is have your 2020 election. So, Jason Evans, I guess I'll say hi to you first. I'm Sam Klein. I'm your host, but I'll say hi to Jason first because he's down there in election country. Jason, how's it going? It's going pretty good. I have to tell you, everyone I know, and I don't mean this like a percentage of people I know, everyone I know in the city of Atlanta is excited for this to be over because we want to get our TV commercials back. We have had nothing, nothing but nonstop political ads for the past two months. The center of the political universe is Longer, I imagine, right? Uh, Well, no, no, but I mean, it's been really, really bad lately. Just, uh, and it's, attack ad after attack ad, and then they go into a little vein of uh, ads that are focused on their personality and how great they are. And it's just, oh, it's been tiresome. It's been Jason. great for the for the media industry here in Atlanta, but it has been tiresome for the people. Jason, you can only watch the iced tea commercial and car insurance so many times before you get bored of that too. So you guys <laughs> get your political commercials. I'll take those right now because all I get is iced tea and Shaq doing car insurance on my TV every single commercial break. That's Donald Wine and he's in Washington, D.C. where there are no elections going on right now. Donald, what, what, what's up with you? 
I will say this. This is a momentous day in the history of the world, but also in Duke history. Two years ago, I traveled down to Cameron for a game against Clemson. Sam, I believe you were standing right next to me when the game became special because it's the game that Zion did the 360 hurt around the galaxy, still one of the top five greatest in-game dunks in the history of Duke University. What a special night. It was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. So I will cherish that memory for a long time, and you will always be in it, Donald. And I mean, you a- caught me from not destroying my head on the top of Cameron because I jumped so high. Oh, because we went to sit in the we went to sit in the top in the in the seats that are always vacated. Yeah. We're very we're very smart like that. Yeah. So don't steal <laughs> our ideas, folks. <laughs> we are here to preview the Boston College game that we've all got our fingers crossed is going to happen tomorrow night. Duke is supposed to play Jim Christian's BC team in Cameron Indoor on Wednesday night. As we record right now, it's just after noon on Tuesday. So we maybe maybe we're not cutting it close enough, but we have our own schedules and editing that we have to do before we get this thing out. So we're doing this ahead of time. If the game gets canceled, sorry, that them's the beats. But we are going to go ahead and preview the BC game for you. There's a little bit of national basketball NCAA type news that we have to get to. The net rankings came out for the first time this week. So we will dive into Duke's very poor position in the net rankings. We'll also talk about the news from yesterday that the NCAA has secured a set of sites for playing the NCAA tournament in and around Indianapolis as scheduled in March. Although we know what schedules two months in advance mean in the times of COVID-19, they don't mean anything. So we'll, we'll talk about that sort of as it stands and, and certainly make updates as we know things going forward. But let's start with the BC game. It's going to be Duke's, just Duke's second conference game, given that the last two have been canceled. The BC Eagles are just two and seven on the season. So hopefully this is a big win for Duke. We're going to do the same thing we've done previously, where we each take a different component to this and, and kind of run the preview that way. So Jason, I'll start with you. You've got the advanced stats. Tell me what you know about Boston College from the advanced stats perspective. So Boston College is the 105th best team in the nation, according to Ken Pomeroy. They have the 98th best offense and the 120th best defense. Not impressive statistics. Those are, those are not good numbers for an ACC team. Um, as you would probably imagine, based on those numbers, BC is one of the worst teams in the conference. And on defense, what jumps off the page at you is they are terrible at defending shooters. They do an average job of creating turnovers. They're decent at getting defensive rebounds, but they're one of the worst teams in the country at opponents' field goal percentage. They don't have very much size, and teams just seem to be able to get good shots against them with relative ease. Opponents hit a fairly decent 35% of their threes against Boston College, but the big number, the absurd number is Boston College's opponents, the teams that play them, hit 57% of their two-point shots. Oh, my. You can't give up 57% of your two-point shots. You're going to lose. That's a really good way to lose. I think Matthew Hurt is going to have an absolute field day against them with the fadeaways he does in the post and things like that. His mid-range game, um, I think, will be very effective against BC because BC is just not a team that's equipped to stop that kind of thing. Um, I, I expect our penetrators to get in the lane with relative ease and get, you know, get good opportunities that way as well. Jason, I'm glad you mentioned this because it kind of bleeds into a little bit of the eye test that I'm going to get into in just a second. Because when you see them play, 
you see exactly that guys going into the paint with relative ease and hitting whatever they want. So paging Mark Williams, paging Matthew Hurt, paging uh, Henry Coleman, paging Patrick to pay. You guys are on tomorrow night because everything that goes in the paint, you guys should have free reign in the paint. Yes, yes, exactly. So let me get to the offensive side of the ball. BC shoots a ton of threes. Almost half of their shots come from the three-point line. And a lot of those shots come from off the dribble. They're not a strong ball movement team. They're among the bottom 10% in the country in assist percentage. Um, so they play a lot of guys on the perimeter and they try and backdoor you for buckets. That's sort of their style. They're going to either take a three or they're going to try and get a backdoor, you know, basket in the lane. Um, and when that, you know, when they don't get a backdoor basket in the lane, they're just jacking up a three-pointer, usually off the dribble. I could see Mark Williams being a very effective rim protector against their backdoor runners, especially because he can um, slough off of Stefan Mitchell, um, who, who plays most of their minutes at, at, at center. He can slough off of Mitchell and not worry too much about Mitchell scoring. We're going to get into that on Mitchell a little bit later. Um, uh, last thing on the advanced stats, Ken Pomeroy expects Duke to win this game by about 14 points. Bart Torvik says Duke wins it by about 12 points. As I said, BC clearly one of the worst teams in the conference. And I think we're fortunate to be playing these guys coming off of our long break. The rust will be real. I think it's going to be an ugly game. Um, Duke just has not played much basketball lately and, and there's no way to simulate a basketball game in scrimmages. So I'm, I'm hopeful that we will have a double digit win like these guys are projecting. Um, I, I worry about our rust a lot, but um, if Duke plays a normal game for us, we should handle BC fairly easily. Jason, I think you've got that spot on as far as how Duke looks coming out of a long layoff and one where they've had a few of these aborted restarts where they thought they were going to be playing a game. They, they made it all the way to Tallahassee and then had to turn around and come home. So hopefully the shock of being back in action is going to be mitigated by the fact that they're playing a team that's not as good. Donald, you took a look at BC's performance so far this year. I mentioned at the top that they're two and seven. They haven't won a conference game yet. Who have they played? And, and is there anything we can take from their prior performances? Well, the interesting thing uh, going, it's kind of bleeding into the advanced stats here. Ken Palm has their strength of schedule ranked sixth in the entire country. The non-conference schedule is 20th best. So they've played some decent teams, but they haven't beat any of them. Uh, the only teams that they have beaten are Rhode Island, uh, who they beat, and then Maine, who, to give them credit, Maine was not their original opponent. They were going to play Cal, uh, but because of COVID concerns, that game was canceled, and Maine decided to step in on short notice. Uh, so BC did handle themselves very well against uh, Maine there, uh, but their losses that are really bad. I mean, Villanova was the first game of the year. They were the number three team in the country. They actually looked really decent against Villanova for most of the game. They just ended up losing by like nine or so, but Syracuse absolutely mollywhopped them by 38. Florida beat them by 20. And St. John's scored 97 points in a, in, in a win there, 97 and 93. So what the problem with BC is that, just like Jason said, their opponents have free reign inside the paint. They, they have made 57% of their shots. Bang it inside, take it to the hole. I will say this, you were talking a little bit about the rust. We also will be without Coach K if this game is played. Uh, as we mentioned before, uh, the game that was postponed last week against Florida State, he has been quarantined uh, because of a family member getting COVID. So he and Mickey K have been at home. He has been watching practices via Zoom, FaceTiming with players every day, but he will be quarantined for 10 days from the point of exposure. So he's missing this game. John Shire will be in charge and 
Wake Forest that game on Saturday, if that plays as a noon game, that's right around when he's expected to be able to exit quarantine. So they're still unsure as to whether he would be available to coach against Wake Forest. But I hope that this team plays angry. We last week, um, right before the Florida State game, when Wendell Moore had his media availability, Jason noted that Wendell said that it just they get really frustrated the fact that they don't know when they're playing, that they prepare for a team and then the game is called off. I hope last weekend makes them angry that they're like, hey, I don't know who's playing, who we're playing next, but when we play, we are going to be an angry bunch of dudes because we have been sitting on the sidelines for way too long and we want to play basketball. I hope this team comes out and plays angry because if they do, I think they're still going to play within themselves that rust will wear off a little bit easier and they'll have a good time against Boston college. And we certainly hope that, that coach K and, and that Mickey Krzyzewski are, are fine. And that this quarantine is more protocol than, than it is actual concern. So far they've tested negative every single day. So that is a great sign. Hopefully that continues. And, and again, because we're playing Boston college and not, Florida State or Virginia or Clemson or North Carolina, one of these more top tier teams. Uh, hopefully that means that that Duke is still able to win even without Coach K on the sideline, but we certainly look forward to having him back. I had taken a look at some of the key contributors for Boston College and Jason, I know you had mentioned a couple of these guys and maybe we'll talk a little bit more about them. So as far as I can tell, Boston College is led by a trio of guards. That's Winston Tabbs, Jay Heath, and Makai Ashton Lankford. Tabbs rates out from Ken Palm as the as the most effective player on BC. Um, he's averaging 15 points and and three rebounds a game. He is coming off a very long injury hiatus, so he's a junior. He's he's academically a junior right now. He played part of freshman season before injuring his knee, and then sat out all of his academic sophomore year. So academically he's a junior athletically he's only a sophomore here because he got a red shirt from last season but has been playing well for bc here in the early season jay heath is a sophomore guard who is also averaging 13 over 13 points a game and and about two assists he's an okay shooter not a great shooter and i think you were talking about jason how this bc team just they're they're not great at limiting uh, offensive production they're also not great at producing really efficient offense. So even though they take a lot of threes, they're not particularly adept at making them and, and the guards aren't very big. So it's not like they're, they're getting around guys and and getting over people to make good shots. They're, they're pretty average as it pertains to, to making shots. So that's going to be uh, important for Duke. And then you also mentioned their big men, um, Stefan Mitchell, and then they have another guy, CJ Felder, who rounds out the starting lineup. Those two guys are the main bigs for BC. Neither of them is overwhelming in size. They, they might be heavier than Mark Williams, but they're certainly not bigger than him. So if Mark Williams is playing a lot of minutes, if Matthew Hurt is down low, they're certainly not going to be overpowered, overpowered by Mitchell and Felder, who between them only average collectively 15 points and 10 rebounds uh, but between the, the two starting big men. So not a ton of talent on BC's side that I think Duke is worried about. But the guards can move, and and in certain instances they can they can create their own shot. So those are those are some of the guys that I think Duke is going to be looking out for. Overall, the shooting is not great. That that that's the part that I think is is key for Duke is that even if the defense is not completely up to snuff, BC is just not good at putting the ball in the basket. One thing, one quick thing is you know watching them play again. 
they have a lot of tendencies when they're on defense to be wowed by the ball movement. Like they, it's not that they're necessarily standing around, but the ball movement can confuse them and to get them out of their defensive shape. And when you do that, they have a lot of holes that you can exploit. So, which is why guys are going to the rack. That's why you see a lot of guys not really, they may be decently shooting from three, but they're not necessarily taking a lot of threes against Boston college because the defensive shape, when it breaks down, allows for them to go hard inside the paint, lay it in off the glass or have a quick jump shot from the free throw line. So, uh, you know, I think Matt hurt what that Jason said, I think he is a great shout for someone who can excel at this game because he can take it inside. He can spread the floor and allow other guys to contribute, but really the, also the guards need to be on point too. DJ Stewart, Jeremy Roach, Jordan Goldwire, them slashing to the hole, finding open men, not necessarily going, going to the rack, but finding open men. It will be there if they can break down this defense. So Boston college has a lot of holes. We should be able to exploit them rust or no rust. I want to see Duke's offensive performance be more fluid in this game. BC is not a defense that is able to contain in a lot of different ways. So like you said, Donald, a lot of ball movement, hopefully Duke can, can get to the hole and, and finish either over some of these bigs that are not oversized or can, can dish it out to, to hit the three pointers. I expect Duke's offense to look a lot more fluid in this game than it's looked recently. So that's it for BC. As we said, the game is supposed to be Wednesday night, as of Tuesday afternoon, it's still on, but who knows? Maybe we'll be back here tomorrow afternoon to say, hey, the BC game was postponed. Let's talk about Wake Forest. Until then, though, we, we can only hope that, that it will be played. We are going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, as, as I mentioned at the top, we are going to talk all kinds of national NCAA basketball news, so stick around. So guys, as I mentioned before the break, the first item of national basketball news that we want to address is the first edition of the net rankings. That's the, the NCAA based rankings that they use to help seed the tournament. First edition of the net rankings came out this week and Duke is not as hot in the net rankings as they are in Ken Palm. They're ranked just 115th in the net, which is far below where you would need to be to even make the tournament. Donald, I'll come to you first. What is your initial reaction to Duke being so low in the net rankings? I assume this is something that we shouldn't be worried about on January 5th, right? Uh, I'm never worried about the net on January 5th, but the, in, in previous years, I haven't been worried about it. They've had some kind of wild uh, net rankings in the past. We've never had to really worry about it because even if they rank us like in the fifties or whatever, and you know, and we're ranked in the top 10, in the AP and coaches were usually surefire locks during that point for the NCAA tournament this year. However, I will say this, the net has taken COVID into their rankings criteria, exactly 0.0% uh, because this is all over the place. I feel like a lot of these teams that are ranked lower are teams that have not necessarily played as many games, pre pre presumably due to COVID or due to other factors, but their rank, the rankings are off because of that. So it's hard to take a look at these rankings and see like Drake and Colgate, uh, ranked in the top 20 very few teams from the from the ACC ranked even in the top 50 and having you know Duke at 115 and I'm not saying Duke should be ranked number one or anything like that but we are definitely not the 115th best you know best team in the country we are way way higher than that uh, I think COVID just has a lot to do with it and it's not being factored into these rankings and 
keep in mind, Duke has only played five games. You were talking about the COVID effect. Duke has five games. There are a good number of teams that have played twice as many games as Duke has to this point in the season. So they've just had more of those opportunities. Jason, any, any, anything stand out when you look at the net rankings as they're currently comprised? Yeah, Donald was touching on this. Um, it's just too early to have a good sense of, of some of these teams' net rankings and whether they reflect reality or whether they reflect just a, a weirdness of not playing many games. Donald mentioned Colgate. They were number 16. Colgate was number 16 in the net rankings yesterday. Today, they're number 46. That's because Colgate just played their second game. They, they're in the Patriot League. They played Army. And they won. And then the very next day they played Army again and they lost. And they went from number 16 to number 46. Uh, there, there, there are a number of these that you can just see are sort of strange statistical outliers that don't make sense. Alabama AM. Alabama AM is 2 0 with wins over Samford, not Stanford, Samford and South Alabama. Alabama AM is considered one of the bottom 50 teams in the country, according to Ken Pomeroy. The net says they're number 83, that they're basically almost a bubble team. That's just not reality. And by the way, Duke isn't the only team with a weird, strange net ranking right now. Michigan State. Michigan State is lower than Duke in the net rankings. Michigan State is number 120 right now in the net rankings. So we need to see more games. I think, you know, they designed for the net to come out around now. And they figured that teams would have played more than they have. But there have been so many COVID cancellations that you've got a lot of teams where the net just isn't reflecting reality yet. And Duke is one of those. So I should also mention, you mentioned that they changed the net today, even I mean, yesterday when they released it. Now today, Duke is 117th and not 115th. They're 115th in the, in the first one. But I also say this, usually, and, and I feel like college football did this a little bit and college basketball didn't. They adjusted the timeline of when they release rankings based on the fact that COVID has adjusted the season. Normally by this point in the season, we would have had maybe 15 games at some, at a certain point, 13, 14 games, because we play a very big non-conference schedule. We have a couple of weeks break, and then we probably would have played three or four ACC games at this point in the season. So now we're talking about relating how do you compare a team that's played two games versus five games versus 10 games when everyone should have been playing about 15. So they should have made this, come way later in the month, just like the, you know, college football playoff and all the AP and all those in college football were delayed a few weeks because they didn't have full conferences playing uh, in, in the power five. So they said, why should we put out rankings that don't reflect, you know, some teams that aren't playing let's wait on that college basketball didn't do that furthering the point that college basketball is waiting on no one and proceeding as if this is a regular season when clearly this isn't. Yeah, and, and we're going to talk about that in just a second, but I want to really quickly point out one other thing, and we should be honest. We should be real here. Duke does not have an impressive record thus far. I mean, the teams we've beaten, no, Notre Dame is really the only team we've beaten that is even remotely impressive. The two teams we played that are any good, Michigan State and Illinois, we lost to both of them and lost both those games fairly convincingly. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you can uh, – look, no one thinks that Duke is outside the top 100 teams in the country. But has Duke shown that they're one of the 20 or 30 best teams in the country? I, I, I don't think we have yet. I think we are, but I don't think we've shown it yet in our results. And a lot of that is the fault of COVID. And it's just not getting opportunity to play games. You can't win if you don't play. It's simple as that. Yeah, but Ohio State got to play in the never mind. We don't need to <laughs> we don't need to go there. Donald, you mentioned that 
the net rankings came out sort of according to the normal timeline of operations as it pertains to the basketball season. And we got a press release yesterday from the NCAA that makes it seem like the NCAA is also proceeding more or less as normal as it pertains to the schedule because they put out some news about the NCAA tournament and the sites that they've chosen and secured for NCAA tournament games, which are supposed to begin on March 14th, which is when they would have begun during a normal season. So as far as we know right now, the NCAA tournament is planned to be in mid to late March and into early April, just as it normally is. That schedule may move around or be compressed, but that's the plan as of early January. And based on the press release from this week, they have eight sites in and around Indianapolis, including having two courts at Lucas Oil Stadium, where the uh, where the Indianapolis Colts play, but more importantly, where Duke has has won a couple of national championships. And so that's the plan as of now. I wanted to get your quick reactions each from this plan, what it might be saying about the NCAA and maybe the logistics of it, because that presumably is going to get easier having it in one place, but also in some ways may be more difficult. So Jason, I'll come to you first. This is the NCAA planning for a world where COVID isn't that huge a concern anymore. Um, and I think it's, I think it's foolish. I, I get that. I get that you have to have a plan and I applaud them for, you know, putting something together and, and it will be adjusted because the reality is COVID is forcing all of us to adjust everything. But I don't think it is possible to pull off the tournament the way they've put it out there. I mean, first of all, they've got their tournament starting the week after all the conferences finish their conference tournaments. Uh, there are going to be teams on pause. I mean, we've just seen it again and again and again. There are going to be, what, what do you do when the team that you seeded number one suddenly has to go on a COVID pause for a week or so. The, the biggest failure in this to me is that the NCAA hasn't figured out and hasn't yet addressed how they handle teams that get COVID either in the tournament or, and I think they're gonna try and put them in a bubble right before they get to that bubble. That there just needs to be more time to get these teams in a bubble if you're gonna do it that way. Can you imagine a worse way to enter into the NCAA tournament from a COVID perspective than having every team in the country playing in a tournament the week before with 10 or 12 other teams in sites scattered all around the country and those games being back to back to back to back. So like Duke on the first day of the tournament, whatever, whether that's Wednesday or Thursday, they, you know, they're, they're going to play, let's say they play NC state on the first day and let's say they win. And then the next day they play Virginia. And then the next day, maybe they play North Carolina. That's three games in a row. And if Duke, if, you know, if NC state, if an NC State player had contracted the virus from playing Wake Forest the day before, they might not even know it until after Selection Sunday. So NC, NC State could, or Wake Forest could spread the virus to every other ACC program by the end of the weekend that they'd be playing the conference tournament, and then poof, the whole ACC is infected. I, I will say this. I'm just going to start with the good stuff. We, we talk a lot about the bad. I'll start with some good. I think it's awesome that Hankel... Fieldhouse is getting games. Uh, I think Butler uh, having that at Hinkle, I think having those games there, that will be a very special thing. And I think it's one of the positives in a, in a world where there hasn't been a lot of positives other than cases uh, that there has been, you know, that a team that would never ever get to host an NCAA tournament game gets to host one on their home floor 
uh, that would be pretty cool. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying Butler is going to play a game there, but the fact that they are hosting at their home gym uh, is actually pretty special to me. Now, to the bad. Uh, yeah, Sam, you're right. There should have been a two-week break between the end of the conference tournaments and the start of the NCAA tournament because that is common sense. But what have we learned this year? The NCAA does not work in common sense worlds. They don't work in common sense languages, and they certainly don't have common sense leadership, which is why they're coming out with a schedule now and hoping that everything's going to be okay. We mentioned a couple of weeks ago that they have trademarked, or at least they're trying to trademark, mask madness, which, as Jason noted back then, is so not that we can have this thing in May, which is what I would hope they would do, but because they want to have fans in the stands all wearing nice, cushy little masks and watching these games. This is a far-sighted plan that they think is, and we've seen nothing that shows that this plan is going to be something where we can look back and go, oh man, the NCAA, we thought they were stupid, but they were actually right. There's nothing to suggest that at this point. So the NCAA, hopefully they have a backup plan because I guarantee you the scenario, Sam, that you just laid out is, it may not happen in ACC, but it will happen somewhere. And my concern is not that it happens to uh, a power five team, but that it happens to a mid-major that eventually has to withdraw from the tournament that they've worked so hard to get to because a team in their conference contracted COVID and they were exposed to it and they have to put on pause for a quarantine or whatever. That would be the worst thing in the world. And that would be completely opposite of the magic of the NCAA tournament. Delay the thing two weeks and make, or at least put two weeks between the end of the conference tournament and the start of the NCAA tournament. So you can guarantee that every single team or you, Sorry, I shouldn't say guarantee, but you can hopefully make it so that every single team that is in the tournament is ready to play because it would be it would be terrible to have any team have to withdraw from the tournament because of COVID. Look, on our last podcast, we mentioned the fact that Coach K was talking about delaying things and, and concerned. And Donald, you pointed out that other ACC coaches weren't really speaking up that much. Just in the past couple of days, Roy Williams spoke up. And, he's, and he, he said exactly the thing that Coach K has been saying, which is, he said, I, I would like for us to have waited until spring. And he said, instead of having March Madness, we should have May Madness. And, and then Roy Williams said, though he trusts the doctors, he is, quote, scared to death is the way I'm approaching the entire season. That's what Roy Williams said. Scared to death is how he's approaching the season. And he's talking about May Madness. They should be doing May Madness. There's no question about that. And, and the, the thing that really puzzles me about it if you did may madness there's going to be a percentage of the public perhaps even a decent percentage of the public that will be vaccinated by then by may and you could maybe have in-person attendance then with people who have shown vaccine cards or something like that it it, it just it doesn't make any sense to me why you're rushing it and pushing it uh, pushing it ahead i and again i think they announced these dates they announced this plan so they can have a plan in place and i think I, I think if you pin them down and, and put a gun to their head and said, is this what's going to happen? They'd probably say, no, nah, we're, we're going to end up adjusting it, but this is what we had to announce now so we can have something to adjust to. Also, you're going to have rapid testing. The rapid testing that we have now is far more sophisticated and, and most importantly, way more accurate than it was back in March of last year. You're going to have that sort of scenario. The, NC, or the NBA has put hundreds of millions of dollars into rapid testing so that they could possibly have fans in their stands for their playoffs, which will take place in May, early June, in, or May through June and into July. So you have these things that are coming down the pike, but they don't want to wait for it. And 
far be it from us. We, you know, we know, you know, we like to rag on UNC on this podcast and very rarely do we give out positive feedback and, and compliments where they're due, but Roy Williams deserves some credit for standing up and listening to this podcast. When I said, Hey, ACC coaches stand up and say something, he stood up and said something. So kudos to him for, for doing that, because I know that wasn't, I know that wasn't an easy thing for him to say, uh, especially the fact about him being scared, but it was a truthful one. And I think that's where it's really important for people to hear it. January 5th, January 5th at 12.40 p.m. Folks, write that time down. That is the moment that the DBR podcast praised Roy Williams. It only took us, <laughs> only took us six years. Hey, wait, <laughs> hey, hey, don't, don't, wait, don't, don't wait by the phone for another one. Like, we, we give these out when you deserve them. You deserve it today. But don't, hey, don't, don't sell yourself, you know, don't take this and run with it. Just calm down. One time. And, and I will make it. I will make it a unanimous call from the from the podcast. I, I also think that Roy is is spot on here. And by the way, you were talking, Donald, about the NBA playoffs going on at the same time. I am sure that if Mark Emmert wanted to get on the phone with Adam Silver and say, let's figure out how to have our our postseason events be somehow intertwined, share resources, programming, all this kind of stuff, they'd be all in for it because the NBA knows that that things are the NBA is good at we've seen this the NBA is good at adjusting and coming up with a new plan that suits not just their TV providers but their players and their fans and and they're doing everything they can if that meant hey we're going to play the NBA playoffs but then we'll take a couple days off at the end of each round to do a round of NCAA tournament games I think all of that is potentially on the table there's no one is beholden to schedules right now the NBA messed around with their schedule, Major League Baseball stuff. Everyone's doing it. So there's no reason why you couldn't move the tournament to to May and, and come up with a creative solution that is good for all of the content providers and the and the networks. And here's why, honestly, if, if we're on the subject, here's why this makes more sense than what they're doing right now. One, the NBA has not made their second half schedule yet. They've only have a schedule up until March 4th. They're taking March 5th through 10th off for an all-star break, but there's no all-star game this year. There's no all-star activities. It's just a break so that guys can go home and be with their families and re-enter the protocols and stuff like that. But also in May, you have this. We have some of the fall sports that will have been uh, that start now in the spring, like soccer, uh, a lot of track and, and golf and those things that some, sometimes take place in fall tennis. Those are now taking place in the spring. You also have it where... May Madness will occur after almost every school in the country has left campus. Their, their semesters will be done. And this way, teams don't have to worry about, hey, do we have to worry about finals or you know them missing classes, going back and forth to campuses? They could just go to Indianapolis and park for a month until it, the team who wins will be there for an entire month. So they could do that in May. In March, you're going to have teams that are leaving and coming back because they have classes to attend and that is going to create a world of, of pain because you're going to have someone come back and ultimately come back with the virus and you have to start this thing all over again. I don't understand why the three of us sitting here on a podcast have better ideas than the damn NCAA does about how to stage this thing. Sam, your notion of, of partnering with the NBA, God, it's a no-brainer. And, and, and you, it would allow you to, to pool resources, not have to spend as much money, you know, because you could each... There, there are aspects of it that you could each pay for. I think it would be a ratings bonanza. Um, you know, Donald, you're right. It, it makes sense to delay in terms of the stress upon these kids. And uh, it makes sense to delay based on where COVID is going to be. Um, I, I 
I don't get it. And, and I just keep on falling back on, I think they had to announce something and they haven't figured out what they're actually going to do. So this is their interim thing that they're figuring out. At least that's what I hope because I, because doing a tournament in, in uh, you know, in Indiana where you bring 60 plus teams into one place after they've all been playing games the week before against multiple opponents is asinine. And I hope that's not what the NCAA actually ends up doing. Well, Regardless of what the NCAA does, we will be back sometime soon to give you more good ideas because that's what we're full of here on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. As we always say at the end here, if you have any questions or comments for us, email us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. We'll be back next time to read some positive reviews. I'm sure Jason is, is compiling them as we speak, although we didn't get to read any this week. And as I also mentioned, Duke is supposed to play Boston College. If that doesn't happen, we'll come back and tell you why. Spoiler, it'll probably be because of COVID-19. So until whenever it is we get back together again, for Jason Evans and for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 267 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Duke Band, take us home. Hello, gentlemen. Sorry to be a little bit late. Uh, <laughs> I had a friend call me and ask uh, about how the Georgia election was going, and I was chatting with that person, and I completely lost track of time. I am sorry about that. Hey, it's 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 a big day in GA. It, it is. It is indeed. <laughs> Why? What's going on? Yeah. Have you uh, heard? The Hawks are, the Hawks are playing. <laughs> well, the, the Hawks are playing tonight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs>